are launching into a new series this week that we're calling Work, Work Within Us. It is based on Ephesians chapter 3, verses 19 through 21. We're going to get to that in just a second. But last week, we ended 2019 really setting up or laying a foundation for this series. I directed to uh, Proverbs chapter 29, verse 18 last week, and I said, where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. Uh, But where there is that prophetic vision where you can believe God for where you're going, when you can let God expand what you think you know or what you're even able to do, but he is blessed who keeps the law of God. So there is that, that challenge there, if you will, that discrepancy between the one that is not in Christ and the one that is in Christ. And there's even a description of the difference between the two. Last week, I gave you a definition for vision. Um, Definitions are are very subjective, and so I just made this up, but it works for me. Vision, for me, is the difference in my my present, my present situation, my present reality, my present circumstance, my present spiritual maturity, and my potential in Christ reality, my potential spiritual maturity. Actually, just to soften it, make it even easier than that is vision is just the difference between where I am and where God wants to take me. Okay, and vision will do three things. This is just a recap from last week, catching you up really quick, because this is the foundation that we're building upon today. Vision will create room for a new move of God. An opportunity for God to move in a new way when you allow him to expand your vision. Number two, it'll create room for new people. Uh, This this semester, if if you'll join small groups, if you're interested in leading or co-leading or or even just hosting, opening up your home to a leader, a co-leader, and one or two, maybe 10 or 12 people in that small group, if you will be open to not just leading but attending a small group this semester, letting God broaden your vision in that area, I can promise you that over a 13-week period, you will develop and form relationships with people that you did not form formally have a relationship with, you will accomplish the vision of this church and grow closer to God together. When God implements vision in your life, it creates an opportunity for him to move. It creates room for new people. Side note real quick, if you're interested in leading, co-leading, or just opening up your home to a small group this semester, please plan right now Change your lunch plans or finish them earlier. Come back up here at 1 o'clock in the student center with us. The final thing that vision will do is it will create an expanse, if you will, um, between where you are and what you believe you're able to do. It will create an expanse that essentially exposes your weakness. Now, I wish that I would have gone and gotten a pack of these, um, but I didn't think of it until I started sharing it in first service this morning. Have you seen these balloons that when they're not blown up, they have grooves in them, and then they have a a rubber band tied to the end of them, and then you're supposed to blow them up, and then you just boing them back and forth with your hand. Your child boings them. Grandparents love to give these things. Shame on you. (laughs) 
They love to give these things and, and you blow that balloon up and then the rubber band breaks and your whole day is ruined. Thank you, grandparent. You're such a blessing for our afternoon. They should come in packs of threes. They don't. Please don't ever give one of my children a balloon. That doesn't work out, okay? If you give one, you've got to give three. It's just the way that it goes. Otherwise, we turn into mixed martial artists over a piece of rubber. Help us out. Just give us three if you're going to give us one. Or don't give any at all. I love these big balloons. They're not like the, the normal, especially the water balloons that like as soon as you get it around the water faucet, it pops and breaks and you get yourself wet. And that is not the purpose of filling up a water balloon. You blow this balloon up and it begins to expand. Okay. And I don't know about you, but I just like challenges in life. I see everything as a challenge. And so I'm thinking, how big can I blow this up before it explodes? And who is the person that is the most scared of an exploding balloon? Because that's who I want to be around whenever I blow it up. As that balloon expands, the weakness of that balloon is exposed. Okay? As God begins to blow his spirit into you, and you begin to seek him and find him, and he begins to fill you and expand you spiritually. That's the fun part, but the not-so-fun part is that it begins to expose where you're weak. And most people get to a certain place where they go, okay, that's enough. <laughs> no mas. That means no more. No more. I'm good right here. This is as far as I want to go. And unfortunately, many people stop. See, the further that God expands you, the more it exposes your weakness. Vision is the distance between where we are and where God wants to take us. The question is, how do we get there? How do we get there? Um, so for Christmas, my in-laws invested, and I really am excited. It's just kind of funny how my mind works and the things that I think of. I'm going to have a good time because joy is not a situation. It's a choice. It's not a circumstance. I am going to choose to have a, I can't preach that right now, but I'm just, this is how I operate. And normally, I would not like to get into a suburban with nine people and drive 17 hours, but joy, thank you, Jesus, unspeakable and full of glory is a choice and not a circumstance. And so we're going to Disney World in October with our kids and my in-laws, sister-in-laws, brother-in-laws, and mother and father-in-laws. And so when we we're excited about going to Disney World, my kids were kind of excited and kind of confused, like, are we leaving today? You know, that's what they wanted to know, like, how soon are we getting on the plane? And I was just thinking... That's cool. That's a vision. I'm going to be excited when it comes to pass. It's the difference between where we are, Bossier City, where we're going, Orlando. Giant gap right there between Bossier and Orlando, just letting you know. But it doesn't happen until October. My question is, how are we going to get there? What I really wanted to ask is, which one of y'all are driving? <laughs> but I assume that since we are uh, renting Suburbans, with a lot, a lot of people, and small ones too, that we're going to drive to Disney World with my in-laws and my children. See, for the past five years, my wife and I have taken a trip on a cruise 
to Cozumel, to the Caymans. She earned a few. I paid for a few, but it was worth it. Our children stayed here, and my wife and I got on an airplane. And we went for three nights, four nights, a few days. We were on a vacation. Just me and my bride of my youth. Thank you, Jesus. This year, we're going to Disney World. Yes! With nine people! And we're going to drive in Suburbans for 17. We are going to draw closer together. I can promise you that is going to happen. See, vision is great and vision is exciting, but sometimes the distance there is not so, uh, not so inspirational. It's not so exciting. In Ephesians 3, we see this whole process in verse 19. To know the love of Christ which passes all knowledge. We believe that if you begin, to, we, you begin to know Jesus, then you will get to a place where you don't need to know the details of your daily task. You'll just put your foot in the steps that he's already laid out for you. And the knowledge of Jesus Christ will be enough to surpass the knowledge of anything and everything else in your life. That you'll learn how to... Pray and fast. You'll learn how to give things up so you can get closer to God. You'll learn how to form new habits. And the things that God has for you will be even more fulfilling than the things that you had for you. And the love of Jesus passes all knowledge. And you will be filled with the fullness of God. Now to him who is able. We could preach that, right? We ended on that last week. And man, you guys left and you were excited to him who is able. We believe in a God who is able and willing. He can, I mean, we could just go in so many different directions right there that he is able to do exceedingly and abundantly more than we could ask or think. Praise him, but he put a comma and not a period. Because then the statement continues. According to the work <laughs> The power that works in us. See, everybody is willing to be a Christian until they realize how much work God wants to do. How much work it is to be a biblical Christian. Not a cultural Christian, but a biblical Christian. The Bible says, according to the work, the power of God that works in us, to him be the glory in the church. That is his desire. So the message this week and as we move forward is let's get to work. In 2020, let's get to work. Let's get to work growing closer to God together because it will not happen if you just sit back in your recliner and hope somebody else does it for you. That may be the way that some things work, but that is not a system of eternal success. Let's get to work. Let's get to work laying down things that are in the way for the next 21 days. We call that fasting. Whether it be cultural, whether it be culinary, See, I know that in Scripture, everything that was fasted involved food. 
But scripture didn't have the distractions that we have. They didn't have the televisions. They didn't have the cell phones, the iPads. They didn't have the entertainment. They didn't have the game systems. They didn't have the things that are consuming our time that we actually idolize. And if we don't have, we're not as fulfilled. Anything that fulfills you more than you're being fulfilled by God is potentially in excess an idol in your life. Whether it be food, culinary, or games cultural. So we fast those things in order to form new habits and believe God. We get to work. Now listen, for about the next 20 minutes, it's going to get a little heavy. Because at some point in Christianity, somebody in Christendom sold us the idea that when we believe in God, everything from there is just going to work out. That once we get saved, God will do everything else. When actually in scripture the exact opposite is true. I want to challenge today the way that we think about Christianity. I want to challenge today what it actually means to be a Christian. In a culture that seems to be confused about that definition. I want to, with you today, evaluate whether we really even are Christians. On the first Sunday of the new year, let's get to work. Now listen, if you've been going to this church uh, anytime, if you know me at all, uh, then you know that most Sundays and most messages, even most conversations, I feel like I've, I'm coming into a place, I've not arrived yet, and yet I press on, but I'm coming into a place where I, I prefer to err on the side of grace uh, I, I prefer to err on the side of life and not legalism, um, honor and, and not uh, conviction over condemnation, mercy over judgment, if you will, because I, I believe that's biblical. But the Bible also says that Jesus was full of grace and truth. And in staff meeting this week, it was very heavy on our heart that we redefine biblically what it truly means to be a Christian and that we deal with the heavier issue. What is it going to take to live for God in what is actually a culture that is increasingly antagonistic towards my faith? Ladies and gentlemen, I, I need to make sure that you at least understand that I believe. I may be wrong. I don't believe I am or I wouldn't say it. But I do not believe that we currently live in a Christian America. We currently exist in a post-Christian society. Culture is no longer accepting of biblical worldview. Culture is no longer accepting that Jesus is the only way. Culture is actually rebelling against the very things that the fathers and forefathers of this nation at least put on paper historically that we were supposed to find substance in. We are no longer... Whether we were or not is not even worth debating because we currently do not exist in a Christian society. Now, I know that we live in South Louisiana, and predominantly, at least, this is like one of the buttons on the bottom of the Bible Belt. 
And we understand that I, I'm very, can I just, I'm very grateful for the influence of Catholicism over South Louisiana because it is the influence of Catholicism that allows my student pastor to go onto the high school campus, to stand on the sidelines, to pray and to eat and to fellowship and connect with students on a campus. Because if you go to Dallas, you can't go in, baby. It ain't happening. There's a lot of places in this nation where Christianity is no longer welcome. And my question is, when it is no longer culturally approved for you to be a Christian, will you still be? My objective this morning is not to be a preacher that uses the Bible to beat you in the brow. But it is my objective today to be a coach that prepares you for the biggest game of your life. To be a general, if you will that equips you for battle in a world that is increasingly, diametrically opposed to my biblical worldview. In order to do that, we've got to define the difference between the counterfeit and the genuine. Because there is, and there was in my life, and a lot of people that I grew up around, a false sense of security in a salvation that is not truly being lived out. There is a counterfeit faith that exists even and especially in the Bible Belt. There is a counterfeit faith that exist in opposition to the genuine, the problem is they look a lot alike. They wear the same labels, the counterfeit and the genuine. They maybe even live by the same morals in front of other people. They can spout some of the same scriptures, especially the ones that benefit them. They may even agree on what is acceptable according to God's word and what is not. And on the surface, there may be no obvious difference. The same was actually true of the people in the day of Jesus. When he arrived on the scene, there were Jewish, Hebrew, Israelite people of the Old Testament. And those were some of the people that would confront Jesus and that Jesus would confront and those people were ethnically related to Abraham. They were physical heirs to the promise of Abraham. And so therefore they assumed that they were spiritual heirs. They assumed that because physically they agreed with what should be done, that spiritually they were in line with the one that was about to do it for them. They assumed that because they were a Jew, they assumed that because they were a part of the church of that day, that they were automatically right with God. The problem is many of them were Jew in name only. The problem today, similar concept, 2020. Many of us who say we believe in Jesus and we are saved and sanctified and being filled with the Spirit and, and we believe we are on our way to heaven. We are really Christian in name only. We've gone through the religious ritual. 
We've said the prayers. We've even given in the offering and sent the missionaries. Hallelujah. But we have not experienced true life change. Listen to me, friends. Salvation without transformation is no salvation at all. I told you it was going to get a little heavy. But we've got to come to a place where we biblically define who we are in Christ. And unfortunately, the life in Christ is not always sunshine and 70 degrees. We cannot bear the label without living the life. We cannot honor God with our lips. Honor God maybe even with our lives in public and certainly with our lives in sanctuaries. And then our hearts be far from him. Listen, please know that I say this without condemnation this morning. But I do say it with compassion and conviction. That the same thing that was true for the religious churchgoers of Jesus' day is still true for the religious churchgoers of today. And we need to evaluate. Do we really stand with Jesus? Because I do believe that one day soon, possibly even this year, Standing with Jesus will not be the cultural norm, even in South Louisiana. That there will be a designation between the counterfeit and the genuine. I'm going to read an abridged quote. Our staff and I are starting a, a book this week by this author. His name is Larry Osborne. This is a quote from a book that he wrote. He said, Today... Many claim to be followers of Christ, but are not. They check the Christian box. They live a generally moral life. They, they show up for church, I would add. They probably even tithe and give and offerings. But in reality, their faith is little more than cultural. It's the path of least resistance. They trust in their own righteousness. Please hear this. They trust in their own righteousness, assuming that God grades on a curve. They lean on their own understanding, their own ability, their own talent, their physicality. Happily following Jesus as a cosmic consultant and the Bible as a helpful guide as long as what it says makes sense and doesn't cost them too much. Many people claiming to be Christian today are similar to the Jews of the Old Testament. Listen, many people sitting in this room right now, listening online, myself included if I'm not careful, are very similar to the Jews of the Old Testament. Their faith is counterfeit. It looks really close. But underneath where it counts, their heart is far from God. I took the time to study out the objective of the, I gave my money to a teller one time and I don't know if I just looked like I was there to steal something. Uh, I gave her my money, and she took out a pen, and she wrote on my money. And I was like, what? You're writing on my stuff? Like, what are you writing on my money? Messing it up. Well, I didn't know that that time. This was several years. This wasn't like last week, okay? Y'all relax. <laughs> I didn't know at that time that she was attempting 
to designate the difference between the counterfeit and the genuine. Now, I know that since then, bills have been produced, and I don't even know that banks use this consistently. They do other things now, but there are some places that still they mark. And the point of the marking is an illustration for the day that when the pen, that iodine pen, went over that dollar bill, if the parchment of that bill by the U.S. Treasury was not authentic, if it wasn't genuine, then the parchment would turn black because it was made out of some other source. In other words, the foundation of what it was created from did not line up with what it showed and said that it was. But whenever the pen marked across the genuine, it just left, well, it was still yellow and ugly, but at least it wasn't black, okay? There was a little, there was a difference. It, it flowed with what was, it was made out of. Because why? Because the source, because the foundation was created from the right thing. And so in our society today, we have people that make claims. And so my question is, would you take the word of God and let it mark across your soul, the inside place, the secret place, which is where the Lord desires to give wisdom and see absolute truth in the inward place, in the heart of the individual, that we wouldn't just honor God with our lips and even our lives, but we would honor him with our desires and our love for him would be as his love for us, that when the Bible marks itself across your life, would your life end up tarnished and black because of where it's not? Or would it end up in line with his word because of who he is creating you to be? Is it counterfeit or is it genuine? Is it about religion and works and physicality? Or is it about Jesus and relationship with him? Is it about a savior and a faith that has been tried and tested and put through the fire and yet comes out on the other side? Whether God did what we wanted or not, I will trust in you. Though you slay me, yet I trust you, Lord. There's a difference in the counterfeit and the genuine. Am I offended by God's word because I'm living outside of it? Or am I affirmed because it convicts my heart and I just want to be more like Jesus? Just as the counterfeit bills are affecting the value of our currency, counterfeit Christianity is affecting the value. Counterfeit faith is affecting the value of our Christianity. That is why Christianity is losing its value in our culture. It's not because of God forsaken people. It's because of counterfeit faith. Lord, draw us back to a place where our faith would be genuine, where our faith can be tested, where we can be expanded and our weakness can be exposed. Happy New Year, everybody. So glad you brought your friend today. <laughs> I just wanted to breathe the life back into the room for a moment. You can cut the tension with God's word. Guys, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that this is my personal conviction. I grew up in this thing. 
I've been hearing this since as, as long as I can remember. And I saw too many people laying in a box in the front of the church. And I looked and I just didn't know. And then I'd evaluate my own life and I would go, God, I don't know. I don't know. I, I want to be genuine, but my life says I'm not. I want to be genuine, but my heart says I'm not. In Matthew chapter 17, there's a story of a, a man whose son needed to be healed. He needed to be delivered of a demon. And the Bible says in verse 16 in the New King James Version, the man tells Jesus, I brought him to your disciples, but their faith was counterfeit. I brought him to church. I took him to somebody that's been going to church for 20 years. I thought they would pray for him. I brought him to your disciples, but they couldn't cure him. You know why? Because their faith had not been tested. See, the disciples were only following Jesus at this point in the scriptures because of what they thought he could do for them. They had not surrendered. They thought he was going to set up an earthly kingdom and they were going to rule and reign with him. They didn't know that they would all be martyred for their faith after it was tested and found to be true. I brought him to the disciples, but they couldn't cure him. And so Jesus makes this offensive statement. Jesus answered and said... You faithless perverts. Wow. That was hateful. No, it was truth. See, Jesus is full of both. And grace without truth is a lie. Just like truth without grace is condemnation that you can't get out of. You faithless and perverse generation. Jesus begins to explain what is needed in order to have been able to heal this child. And he gets down to the bottom of this passage in verse 21. This kind does not go out. In other words, the faith that it would need, be needed to move a mountain, that mustard seed of faith, just a little bit of God's kingdom in your life in order to speak to the things that are currently existing around you that do not belong. This kind of faith only comes by prayer and fasting. In other words, prayer helps you with the faithless part and fasting, cutting yourself off from the world, helps you with the perverse part. Jesus was saying, you're too much like the world and you're not enough like God. And the only answer to becoming more like him and less like them is by praying which reconnects you to God and fasting which disconnects you from the world around you. And this kind of faith, the genuine, the authentic, the biblical kind of faith that is required to actually be a part of his kingdom as one of his disciples by the works of your salvation. Not that your works establishes your salvation or that your salvation is dependent upon your works. That is not what scripture is saying. What it is saying is if your salvation exists, then your works will be the evidence. And then instead of being faithless, you'll be faithful. Jesus said it this way in John chapter 14, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And then he makes this exclusive claim. He says, no one comes to the Father. 
except through me. See, the gospel is all-inclusive to anyone who will call upon the name of the Lord. But it makes an extremely exclusive claim. There are not many ways to God. There is one, and his name is Jesus. There are not many paths to righteousness. There is one, and his name is Jesus. There are not many ways to have peace and fulfillment and joy unspeakable and full of glory. There is but one, and he is the way. He is the truth, and he is the life. And no one comes to the Father except through him. He's the only way. Everything else will be temporary at best. Verse 7, he says, If you had known me, you would have known the Father. And from now on, you know him because you've seen him. And now Philip probably should have just been quiet, but in this passage, Philip says, Lord, Show us the Father, and that will be sufficient for us. See, Philip was confused, as many of us have been confused, and even taught to believe this way. Philip thought that he was there so that Jesus could do something for him. Philip said, Jesus, you show us the Father, that will be sufficient. Just as many of us have prayed, Lord, you reveal yourself, and I'll believe. No, friend, that's not how it works. Jesus rebukes Philip in this passage. And he says, have I been with you all this time and you still don't know me? Did you grow up in this culture and you still don't know me? You have my word in your head and in your hand incessantly and you still don't know me? Is it counterfeit or is it genuine? Jesus says in verse 11, Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. Or, if you don't believe that, then believe me for the sake of the works <laughs> themselves. Let's get to work. See, final point. God will teach us to work. In a society that wants to be the beneficiary without contributing anything. It's unbiblical, friend. In a culture that wants to reap a reward but not plant a field. In an institute that teaches, come to God. And everything else will work out. We've got to examine. Is it counterfeit? Or is it genuine? Think about it. Jesus prayed in John 17. Lord, make them like me. Make them like me. That they would be in me as I am in you. And that they would be made perfect. That they would be like me. In other words, God, take your word and brush it across their heart and let them see if it leaves a stain or affirms who I'm creating them to become. Why? 
Because only with endurance do we receive this reward. Jesus actually said, only those who endure to the end. Only those who endure to the end. With endurance comes great reward. See, anything worth having, even Christianity, is worth our part. In other words, God is saying, hey, I've already done my part. It's your turn. Not because you're going to put in a lot of work and you're going to be saved. No, but because I saved you, you're going to put in a lot of work and you're going to become even more like me every single day. As long as you do not grow weary in well-doing, you will reap a harvest if you do not give up. Can I show you one more scripture before I pray? First John, somebody shook their head yes, don't worry, trust me. First John chapter 2, verse 3. By this, we know that we know him. If we keep his commandments. In other words, all you have to do is look at your life when nobody else is around. All you have to do is listen to what's in your heart. And you can find whether your faith is counterfeit or whether it's genuine. Whether it agrees with Jesus because that is what is culturally acceptable and approved. Or whether it truly believes in Jesus. Because that is the only truth that transforms an individual. Would you bow your head and close your eyes with me? Father, I thank you today for the truth of your word. Lord, I pray right now for every single person in this room. Lord, for every follower of Jesus, I pray that you would show us the habits that we can form and the things that we can fast over the next 21 days that would cause us to grow closer to you together. Lord, speak clearly to us right now. Help us to hear from you. And then, God, give us the inspiration. Holy Spirit, help us to believe and to obey with what you lay on our hearts. But God, there's another group of people in the room today. It's a people who were raised just as the Jews were raised. It's a people who have possibly even agreed with you in the past. And then some who have always wondered whether they even did or not. God, for those people right now, for that group, I don't speak condemnation, but compassion. Lord, right now, for those people who need to believe in you, who need to surrender their lives to you, not because it's cultural, but because it's biblical, who need to receive your salvation from their sin and from their shortcomings, God, right now, I pray that your spirit would move in this place. In 20 seconds, I'm going to pray. And if you need to give your life to Jesus today, if you need to surrender to him and receive salvation with nobody looking around, I want you to lift your hand right where you're sitting. Right where you're seated. Say, hey, just as an act of obedience, Lord, that's me. You already knew it, but I needed to acknowledge it. Right now, I receive. God, forgive me. Right now, that's me, Lord. 
See my hands. See my heart, God. Let my faith be genuine and not counterfeit. God, restore in me. Place in me. In five seconds, I'm going to pray. If you want to be included in that prayer, please lift your hand right where you are. Say, hey, that's me. Lord, that's me. That's me. That's me. Church, I want you to agree together. The Bible says clearly, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The journey begins with the confession of salvation. Let's begin our journey. Let's refresh our journey. Let's realign our hearts with Jesus today. Come on. If you raised your hand, even if you didn't, let's pray this prayer together. Jesus, forgive me where I fall short. Help me to have genuine faith. Forgive me for all the areas I did not believe, where my faith was counterfeit. Save me. Cleanse me. May I be like you. I believe you gave your life so that I could live for you. May I follow you with all of my heart. In Jesus' name, amen.